up next on Warriors Roundtable. And as I'm looking at the company commanders, I see a picture of Ross Shellhaas, and I'm like, well, I hope to God I don't go to that guy's company. To tell you the truth, Now's ad out of all my deployments was definitely the most bloody and white knuckle combat that I had been in um, at that point thus far. You always hear that mantra, you never, ever leave a Marine behind. The be most beautiful thing I've ever seen is when we mounted up and we went to go recover the remains of one of our comrades. I remember looking at Ross and some of the other uh, Marines in the, in the company and that was the turning point. But at that point, it, become very, it, it became very personal. My legs split open. I can see it through my camis. I remember thinking as the explosion happened and I was outside of the truck, I was like, I am not in a vehicle anymore. <laughs> as I'm flying through the air, you know, uh, I'm thinking this thing is going to land on me. And I'm like laying there on the ground and I'm like, okay, I can't do anything for myself now. If somebody doesn't come and help me, I'm going to die. The views and opinions in this podcast do not represent the Department of Defense, Department of the Navy, or United States Marine Corps. After their deployment in 2008, some called them the Forgotten Battalion. But the Marines and sailors of the United States Marine Corps' 2nd Battalion and 7th Marine Regiment reject the way the Forgotten Battalion moniker encourages that narrative of broken veterans. Instead, these warriors simply want to be remembered for the mission they accomplished and for the honor with which they have served their country and their corps. The majority of 2-7 veterans continue to reflect on their experiences while living their lives and pressing forward. These are their personal stories of resilience with insight to healthy coping and living with hope. Welcome to the Warriors Roundtable. Today we interview former Staff Sergeant for Fox 2-7, Master Sergeant Gabriel Guest. Gabe, welcome to Warriors Roundtable. Thanks for making time to talk today. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. This is awesome. What an honor. The last time uh, I think I saw you was actually shortly before they harvested your leg. Yeah. Yeah. I saw you and met you in the hospital down in Balboa. And you came up and talked to our Marines. And we're going to get to your story in a minute about uh, uh, what happened with you in 2008 and afterwards. But uh, first of all, tell if you could tell us a little bit just about what you do in the Marine Corps. You're still on active duty. Uh, what's your MOS? And then tell us a little bit about the, the lead up to 2008. Yeah, so, uh, well, lead up to 2008, I came in the Marine Corps in 1999, January of 1999. Uh, started out as a machine gunner. Um, and then at some point, I did a deployment as an uh, infantry squad leader. Um, did a um, Iraqi Freedom tour as an infantry squad leader um, and uh, as, as a machine gun section leader as well. And then at some point, I winded up uh, heading over to 2nd Battalion, 7th Marines. And uh, that's where I uh, went to, before that, I went to Infantry Unit Leaders course and picked up the MOS of uh, 0369 Infantry Unit Leader. So um, at that point, I went to... Um, unit leaders course and then shortly thereafter maybe a few months wind up checking into 27 i actually started out with mortars believe it or not with uh 27 took over from mortars and uh was scrambling trying to learn how to do fdc all the good nerd stuff um and uh basically got 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 a good understanding of that uh i, I acted as the company gunny when we were doing um 
our little ITX Mojave Viper type stuff. Uh, did the company Gunny thing for a little bit, and then uh, when we went over there, I wound up taking over as a platoon sergeant for third platoon. So yeah, and then you know, obviously, subsequently got wounded a few months later. But that's basically how everything kind of went down in synopsis. Tell us who the platoon commander was for third platoon. Uh, third platoon was uh, uh, first lieutenant Koski Corell. So Art, yeah, Art was my good buddy. So he's doing okay. good. Yeah, man, he's he's a he's a he's a you know, lack of a better term, I hate to use uh, foul language, but he's a strong warrior man god. I love that guy to pieces. He's a great guy. Yeah, absolutely. Now, and he spoke very highly of you. I'm looking forward to hearing more of your story from your perspective today. Tell us a little bit about what you were doing in uh, 2008 in Helmand. You said you went over as the, uh, as the platoon sergeant. So, um, now's that. So, Basically, uh, I got to the unit a little low, a little late. Um, they they had already done a, a quite a bit of their work up, and uh, I was a um, an amphibious raid instructor down in Coronado. Um, so I was doing some courses down there, teaching some stuff. Uh, the good thing about that place is we were doing a lot of stuff that made your hair kind of go on fire, and made you have to kind of dig down deep to be able to like uh, you know face some internal fears that. You know, not all people deal with every single day. So that was a good thing about that place. And I got orders at the last minute uh, to head over to 2-7. To, uh, and actually, believe it or not, I, I had orders to 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines. Um, and I had done something that irritated the monitor a little bit. So when I checked in, I was actually part of 3-7 for about a day and a half. And then I uh, got approached by the sergeant major of 3-7 and he's like hey what did you know what's going on what did you do to the monitor to piss him off so bad and I'm like what are you talking about you know what I mean and he, he's like hey man you got orders to 2-7 um, and I'm, he's like uh, I was like okay and what's the bad news and he's like they deploy in, in uh, five weeks and I was mm -hmm. like oh that's outstanding so um, I basically checked in and I'm thinking you know what unit am I going to go to? You look up on the battalion wall, you can see all the company commanders and stuff. And I'm looking at the company commanders. And as I'm looking at the company commanders, I see a picture of Ross Shellhaus. And I'm like, well, I hope to God I don't go to that guy's company because he looks like an <laughs> asshole. You know what I mean? And sure enough, uh, lo and behold, you know what I mean? They're like, hey, you're going to uh, Fox Company. And I'm like, oh, if they're going to go to Fox Company, they got to need platoon sergeants. You know, they got to need staff sergeants to lead a platoon. Sure enough, I get there and they're like, nope, you're going to take over mortars. And I'm like, mortars? Nobody wants that job. You know what I mean? And uh, but I had a great group of guys. I had a guy named Corporal Homan who was um, we got Henny Hosa and all these guys that were great mortarmen. And I took them under my wing or they took me under their wing uh, and started teaching me how to work uh, some uh, FDC, uh, you know, uh, pivot point, below pivot point, modified observer type stuff, DREAC, all that good stuff. So I could figure out what the hell I'm supposed to be doing as a mortar section leader. Um, I had a basis going through IULC, but I was no expert by far. Uh, so those guys took me out of the ring, wing. And then uh, as we went through ITX and we went through um, uh, the uh, Mojave Viper workup, all that good stuff, I uh, acted as a company gunny because our company gunny was, um, he was at... Uh, um, advanced course, going through advanced course. Um, okay. So I hadn't met him yet, and uh, we winded up uh, doing the workup, and I acted as a company gunny. I think I only did one op um, with the mortars, and we actually attacked a range, and we only did direct lay. So I didn't, as far as like 
FDC's concern and actually controlling a gun line. I didn't get a whole lot of uh, reps in, you know what I mean? So that's so basically what happened. Marines know exactly what you're talking about when you say you were a company gunny, but for those who may not understand Marine Corps structure, what is the company gunny's role? Company gunny's role is he's the senior tactical advisor uh, to the company commander. Not that I did that much at that point, but um, senior tactical commander first and foremost. Um, a lot of people think it's the first sergeant, but that's not the case. Uh, it's actually the company gunnery sergeant because he's a senior 0369 in the company. Um, and then you also deal with any kind of stuff to keep the machine rolling. So ammunition, um, any kind of logistics, chow, um, if you need fuel for vehicles, vehicles, maintenance, anything like that, the company gunny takes care of that. You know, back in the rear, he's has a lot to do with like working hand in hand with the executive officer, making sure that everything's taken care of as far as training is concerned, um, to get the company prepared to go down range. And then he takes to the company when they go down rounds, he, uh, go down range, he actually takes care of them. So a big deal, like a lot of people don't realize this, uh, and as I've gone on in the years, but the company gunnery sergeant is, um, he is um, pivotive, or, you know, uh, or he's, you know he, he's really, if you don't have that guy to actually run the CASI VACs and things like that, a lot of companies I've seen have run through and they're like, hey, we're going to use the first sergeant for the MAKO. We're going to use him for CASI VAC ops. But the thing is, is the first sergeant can be from any MOS. You know, he can be sure. from the air wing. I mean, he can, be from, he can be from admin, you know. The company gunnery sergeant is the guy who you want to be at that point of friction to run the CASI VACs, to make sure that the LZ teams are down there setting up LZ control doing the proper thing, running the Mako, all that good stuff, because he's an infantryman and, and he's, you know, he's a lead slinger just like everybody else. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, that, that, that's a big deal. And our company Gunny, you know, uh, um, he, he was doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes that at that time, point in time, I gotta be honest with you, I just didn't, I just didn't see it because I wasn't senior enough to, to really uh, appreciate that kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, right on. So you started off company Gunny position and then at what point, you said you transitioned to platoon sergeant. Right. So I wasn't officially the company gunny. Um, I just was acting, you know, covering his six while he uh, took care of another uh, piece of the pie, had to get through school. And then once we got down to um, uh, Camp Bastion, I wound up taking over at some point as a platoon sergeant. Now, we wanted up, there was, I, I went advance party and the company gunny had me fly out to um, Camp Bastion uh, before the company did a ground uh, movement to actually Camp Bastion. Um, and I went out early with a guy named McShan and a couple other Marines. Um, and we went out there and basically got billeting areas, make sure the Marines had a place to sleep and stay until we could kind of figure out what the hell we were doing out there. Um, so I went out there, kind of figured out some areas where we we're going to sleep, um, kind of made some liaison with a few cats and dogs. Honestly, more than anything, I just PT'd a lot. Um, and then I got to the point to where uh, the company came out a few, a few weeks later, um, got them down in their billeting, and then the company gunny showed up and he took over and, and it was kind of seamless. So at that point, I still was uh, the section leader for... Um, section leader for mortars, but I was just working in his capacity as an extra staff and CO because quite honestly, uh, Corporal Homan didn't really need me too much. He was a, he was a stud. So um, 
let me backtrack a little bit. During that time when I flew out early, um, now, well, retired Major Shellhaas, but back then Captain Shellhaas, and a few cats and dogs flew out. And uh, they were going to do a recce of um, Nowzad. And I, had, I basically was just tired of being in lockdown and, and uh, bashing. I was, felt like I was a fobbit. I was like, man, I got to get out of this place. So I basically talked to uh, Captain Shellhaas, and, and Art was there, and Art's like, and you know, Lieutenant Carell, and I was like, get me the hell out of here. I don't know where you guys are going or what you're doing, but get me off this rock. You know, and I begged, pleaded, and I was like, please, get me out of here. And uh, uh, Lieutenant uh, Carell uh, talked to the, uh, the company commander, uh, Ross, and he said, hey, can we just take him with us, please, or else this guy is going to probably explode in his own camis, you know what I mean? So they took me out there. So we did an advance party uh, and, and basically re uh, recon Nowzad. And um, I went out there, we had a few squad leaders with us. I think we had uh, uh, Sergeant Jolliffe and I think we had Corporal Lynham and maybe a few other cats and dogs, I can't really remember. I know I think we had um, uh, Culliver, one of our uh, click Marines. Um, I know uh, Ross was there and and we went out there as well as Koski and we went out there and we, we checked it out and uh, liaison uh, basically gained some intel from the Estonians as well as the British uh, to figure out what the hell we were doing in that AO and quite honestly uh, what they need what they needed actioned um, in that AO and uh, we went sat through a lot of briefs went through on some uh, um, some some uh, multinational patrols with them kind of showing us the AO giving us a uh, an idea of what the hell's going on out there where the the goes and no goes areas are um, you know what the checkpoints look like they had something called a spot map out there um, and then basically uh, they really didn't have set fire support control measures um, they had some on-call targets things of that nature um, but uh, a lot of not, not a lot a whole lot of FSCMs or anything like that. So it, it was good. It kind of gave me an idea of what's going on. And then once we got back, that's when um, I winded up getting told that I was taking over third platoon. So okay. yeah, yeah. So I imagine at that point that was maybe a relief for you, feeling like finally you're going to be able to get rolled your sleeves back up and kind of get back in it as a grunt, as a leader of grunts in that way. Yeah, so you would think that. So, but the thing is, is I'm thinking in my head like, well, shit. Um, <laughs> I don't have. Uh, I don't know what these guys' SOPs are. Um, I don't know what's been going on uh, as far as the platoon is concerned. Uh, you know, and I'm like, well, and we're about to roll into the hornet's nest. So yeah. I was kind of like, Ugh, well, shit, man. I'm gonna do the best I can by these guys and. And work hard by them, and, and hopefully I can uh, uh, come out the other end and, and, and get as many of these guys through this as I possibly can. Um, you know what I mean? So you had done other deployments before this, right? Uh, I had done three other deployments before this, yes. So I had a little bit of experience uh, in combat. Not, nothing crazy. Uh, IEDs, sniper fire, stuff like that. Um, but to tell you the truth, Nowzad, out of all my deployments, was definitely the most bloody and white-knuckle combat that I had been in um, at mm. that point thus far. Um, you know, and 
you know, my biggest thing was, okay, I mean, we had some strong squad leaders, man. We had some really good strong leaders. We had Sergeant Espinoza, who wound up picking up Staff Sergeant uh, Stud. You know, we had, um, we had Sergeant Jolliffe that turned into Corporal Tomlinson once, once Jolliffe left. And then we had uh, Lanford, Sergeant Lanford, who was also an awesome Marine. So we had some great squad leaders, and then we had some really great uh, leadership with um, uh, Lieutenant Carell. I mean, so all I was trying to do is make sure that I could be part of the team and, and uh, help the machine move forward, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But you're saying the biggest challenge is uh, you were only there for a few months, several months of their training, and you didn't know their specific TTPs or SOPs, is that correct? Right, right. And I didn't know, um, to, quite, to, to, be, to be quite honest with you, I mean, at that point in time with, with the training cycles and the way the op tempo was, the PTP, all that good stuff, how you, what the dwell time was for units. I mean, you're lucky if you're getting six to seven months back before you're back overseas. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think ours was even shorter, you know, and I can't really speak to it because I showed up so late. Uh, but I mean, if I was a betting man, I think we only had about four and a half, maybe five months of training before we actually went. And if you think about individual team squad and the collective company training and all that good stuff that needs to go down i think by the time we actually hit the collective stuff we were already in mojave viper you know what i mean yeah. um so yeah. as far as like live fire maneuver ranges and, and combined attacks where we're actually working off of uh operation orders and and doing a combined arms dilemma getting air rd mortars and everything into the mix i mean i think it was kind of towards right before we pushed out the door so yeah. i kind of missed a lot of that stuff thank god i had um, infantry unit leaders course and some other educational opportunities in the marine corps to kind of let me know at least what i needed to know before i actually went down range with these guys you know what i mean uh, yeah so the training you got before you actually got to two seven it sounds like prepared you as best as you could possibly be prepared. I mean, how, how would you describe Marine Corps training, especially the infantry unit leaders course and those kind of things? So at that time, um, I had been through uh, machine gun leaders course and I had been through, when I'm talking about just infantry stuff, I've been through infantry machine gun leaders course and I've been through infantry unit leaders course as far as uh, like formal school of infantry schools. And I will tell you, you know, it prepared me pretty well. Um, it's like compared to these days, I mean, it is a complete 180 of what it, what the course I went through uh, was. Um, really? Yeah, it's completely, I mean, they've really, and I, li I would like to think a lot of that is trial and error, you know, when doctrine's written. I, you know, I hate to say this, but doctrine's written in blood. It's written in yeah. lessons learned from guys that have gone down range. Um, and learn some hard stuff. And a lot of it is a lot of the same lessons learned again in every environment or every battlefield. Um, so they actually bared down, and I'd like to say that Rosh Selhas was, was a huge part of uh, making that happen and making the dots connect and making sure that that course um, took a whole different direction um, and, you know, to, uh, to support the O369, the infantry unit leader, to make sure that his... Uh, uh, Marines were well prepared, and I, and you know, hell, I mean, even down to the lowest levels, to um, you know, the squad leader um, and, and everything else. I mean, they've they've, as far as advanced infantry training battalion is is concerned now these days. I mean, it is huge. It's as far as educating Marines to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. um, 
So back then, I was, I, was pretty, I was pretty well prepared, but not as prepared as the guys are these days. The guys these days are like, I mean, they're, they are a cut above, um, you know, mm. above, their, above other services and their peers. And I, I would say that to any unit, you know what I mean, anywhere, yeah. uh, anytime, any place, you know. So you're, uh, to kind of bring us back, you're, you're in Afghanistan. You've done the recce, the, the, your reconnaissance trip to Nauzad. You've talked with the Estonians and the Brits who have been in Nauzad a bit already. And now they've said, let's make this guy third platoon sergeant. Uh, go ahead and pick it up from there. If you want. Yeah. So um, they tell me right before we push into Nauzad, um, first sergeant pulls me in. And first sergeant goes, hey, uh, you know, staff sergeant, I need to talk to you. And I go, what's going on? And one of my best friends in the unit, a guy named uh, Staff Sergeant Bugle, Kevin Bugle, who is, once again, another warrior. I mean, I'm blessed with him. There's, I'm surrounded by warriors and gunfighters. Uh, you know, he's like, hey, what's going on? First Sergeant wants to talk to you. And I was like, I have no idea. And I'm thinking, okay, what did I do wrong? <laughs> what did I do? I'm like, first thing, check your gear. Make That's sure you didn't lose anything. a completely reasonable assumption. Dude, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm like, what did I do? All right, we're running McMap training. I'm like, did I break a kid's neck? Did somebody break a wrist? What did I do? Okay, that didn't happen, you know, and I'm thinking about in my head, like going through the scenarios, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And he calls me in there, and, and uh, first saw Rummel, who's also another gunfighter, a, a guy that I love the pieces, is a great dude. Uh, it was like, you know, and, and now he retired as a sergeant major, obviously, you know, and he's yeah. like, hey, you know, you're taking over third platoon. And I said, well, well, sh- I, you know, I haven't really had a whole lot of time to work with these guys, uh, you know, and I started kind of debating with him. And he says, this is not a debate, Staff Sergeant. You're taking third platoon. I said, aye, aye, first sergeant. You know what I mean? And I walked out of there and I said, shit, I got, I got third platoon. So I went over and talked to the lieutenant. And the lieutenant was like, yeah, hey, you know, welcome aboard. And started giving me the, uh, the skinny on the, uh, the stuff that was going on in the platoon. And I just, you know, kind of at, at that point, just took the ball and ran with it, you know. Yeah. Um, blocking and tackling, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, and then at that point, uh, we started getting orders. Uh, I, got a, I got a frago um, from the company commander, and he said, hey, I need you to conduct a route reconnaissance um, to get, uh, you know, elements via ground um, overt movement to Nauzad. Um, and I said, okay. So I did a map reconnaissance, and and spun up one of my squads. Um, we, we were obviously going Vic mounted, and I was like, hey, you know, what are my assets? How many vehicles do I have? Uh, what's our fire support? You know, what do we have? Uh, higher adjacent supporting, all that good stuff. And uh, we uh, coordinated with the, um, with the Army, and we got some Kiowas that actually followed us in and uh, did some uh, aerial reconnaissance as aerial interdiction. And believe it or not, a lot of people are like, what, AI? And I'm like, yeah, no, they, they stopped vehicles using their Kiowas when we were out oh. there actually moving in. So we did a route reconnaissance. Um, I took a guy with me, one of our combat cameramen named Cantu, uh, and he was taking pictures of uh, the routes as far as affording points, wadis, things of that nature. Uh, I mean, a lot of the, the, the thing that about back in those, those days is that a lot of people didn't realize it, but the... Uh, the vehicles that we were utilizing were utilized for like Iraq. They weren't so much good for um, 
the things that, you know, uh, the routes and stuff that were, were Afghanistan. And, uh, you know, thank God we weren't there, there during the raining season, at least while I left. I was obviously wounded before that happened. But, um, you know, the vehicles would get stuck a lot. So yeah. one of the things I was when I was doing this route reconnaissance is I was trying to figure out how what is the proper route we could go on and then what what was the vehicle's feasibility to get past some of these uh different um you know wadis and loose sand and things of that nature and what could we do to uh uh get through those areas and, and you know and i didn't think about it because back then i was a boot i mean a boot staff sergeant you know and i mean but to think about you know you've got vehicles weighed down with uh uh, HESCO barrier and ammunition and food and sustaining materials, you know, class yeah. one, two, and three supplies, four, all that good stuff. And I'm just thinking to myself back then, I'm like, yeah, this looks good. A Humvee will get over it. So I'm taking pictures, you know, I mean, and I, I mean, I, ho I, I would like to think that I pulled a lot of data and helped out with that patrol. But I mean, now that I'm older and I've gone through a lot more schooling and I've been in the Marine Corps another 10 years, I'm like, wow, you know, I really didn't know back then <laughs> you know what i mean sure so uh so we went through we did that patrol we came back and uh and that was our first first mission you know um working with the coc battalion coc um and you know working with the ops chief getting a a mission card in a route card um you know getting everything uh sent up to hire um from company you know radio checks all that good stuff uh, making sure our crypto fills were good to go so it was a good even though it wasn't a, uh, it was an actual mission, it was a good pre-mission to things to come in the future. You know what I mean? So at this point, you as the main body or the, you know, the, the main body of Fox Company that would join you all in Nowside, are they out there with you or is this still all part of sort of your reconnaissance? Oh, so yeah, at this point, yeah, the whole, the, basically uh, my whole company is in Camp Bastion. Um, okay. And if I remember correctly, there was only so much billeting for everybody. Um, so they couldn't like have the whole damn battalion, you know what I mean? So they're kind right. of trying to phase this in and then phase this out to the, uh, um, the AO. Um, so my company, when I did that route reconnaissance, my whole company was there. Um, so they were there um, ready to go. We we're just trying to figure out for a few, few, few days, they're trying to figure out where were they were gonna send us, the Kajaki or some of these other places. Um, and then Nowzad came up. So, yeah, that's when I conducted the route reconnaissance. So they were all there waiting. And then I came back. Um, and then that's when we figured out, like, how we're going to move out there and how that was going to go down. And every time you're going out and back from Bastion to Nowzad, I assume this is by Humvee, not by air? So it depends. Um, it, it varied back and forth. But the main body okay. movement, yeah, it was all done by ground, ground mech. You know what I mean? Humvees, mm -hmm. um, MATVs, uh, MRAPs, you know, mine resistant uh, ambush protected vehicles, okay. stuff like that. Did you have MRAPs that early in your deployment? We did, but they were uh, okay. they're the Iraq kind of variants. We didn't have the MATVs yet. So okay. they're big, heavy, cumbersome pieces of crap that, I mean, they block bullets good, but they also like were a magnet for bullets. Everybody wanted to shoot at it because it was sure. high profile and everybody was like, oh, shit, look, an MRAP, let's shoot at it. You know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. you know, had a love and hate relationship with those things. You know, my poor uh, mech mechanized guys and all my mechanics were just turning wrenches, trying to keep all those poor damn trucks going. 
those guys were uh, heroes within themselves out there keeping everything moving, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you get the main body out there, or you had about what, about the two platoon plus size, uh, you know, strength in now that, is that correct? Yeah, that's, that's correct. So we had um, uh, company minus basically is what we like to call it. So we had third and first out there. Um, so we got out there, we had a good amount of vehicles and um, I can't remember the exact number. And then we had an 81 section. Um, the Estonians up on AMP Hill had an 81 section. So essentially, we had a sp split section ops with 81. So we had in two different mortar firing positions. I'd say probably about 250, 300 meters between each one. Um, <laughs> but obviously working off different FDCs. Um, and then later on, we winded up getting some other cats and dogs from, uh, from ISAF. Um, 105s uh, later on once I got wounded uh, they got 120s things like that and then I remember okay. we had one 60 millimeter mortar that we used to take around with us handheld um, which was a good piece of gear to have um, so and then we had uh, a bunch of machine gunners and some uh, anti-tank assault guys for demo and rockets um, you know what I mean uh, that were also mm -hmm. attached to the platoon and then we had some engineers um, that if they weren't building uh, and, and, and fortifying our actual fob they were out there um, reducing obstacles and uh, uh, blowing stuff up you know what i mean so they're doing and you know counter ied kind of stuff so it was good and we had eod techs and snipers attached to us so we had i mean we were pretty reinforced we had a, we had a good amount of dudes there's got to be at least a couple of things that stick out in your mind or things that you keep going back to uh give us some of those things that that stick out to you from your deployment uh well i mean so you have this idea <laughs> i don't know what it was when i was a kid or whatever where you're going to go to combat and i was listening to ross interview and you were going to think <laughs> like you're everything's going to happen in your favor you know what i mean everything's going to happen in your favor you're not really going to need uh a Kazivac plan or LZ, uh, LZ team or things like that to get guys out because you're going to completely beat, beat the shit out of the enemy, it, which is, you know, <laughs> something near and dear to my heart, you know. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that the enemy is going to maneuver on you and they're a thinking human just like you are. Mm -hmm. So the things that I, I remember and the things that are hard to... Uh, forgive myself for are the casualties and the KIAs um, and the the guys that that were hurt seriously um, and the guys that were here uh, that were killed um, during that deployment and all my other subsequent deployments um, you know I, I uh, are, I'm sorry the prior deployments and then the deployments afterwards so nothing you know, hurts me more than, than, than hearing about a Marine being hurt or, or killed. Um, and one thing that sticks to my mind um, is the day uh, Staff Sergeant Chris Strickland was, uh, was killed, the day that Ahern was shot in the leg, the day that um, we lost, um, you know, Munoz, or not lost him, but Munoz was wounded seriously and Clenard was wounded seriously. Um, I mean, I can go down the list. Um, you know, it, it was a lot of firefights. It was a lot of different uh, IEDs and things of that nature. Um, and, you know, one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my, my time in the Marine Corps 
is you always hear that mantra when you're in, you know, boot camp or you're in uh, you're in school of infantry where you never ever leave a marine behind. That is the thing that you never do and. The be- most beautiful thing I've ever seen is when we mounted up and we went to go recover the remains of one of our comrades um, and the Marines, not a single one, I just you know started talking to Marines and they started grabbing kit, getting ready to push out the door and we did a quick over the hood frago brief over the hood of one of the trucks and we went out there and recovered one of our Marines, um, you know, and I remember looking at Ross and some of the other uh, Marines in the, in the company and that was the turning point of where we were like okay we're gonna completely kick the shit out of these guys because they just killed one of ours you know what I mean um, not that we weren't gonna do that before but at that point it become very it, it became very personal um, and uh, um, you know and one of the probably the worst days that I've ever ever had in combat and I just got back from another deployment probably about a year ago but one of the worst days that I've ever had in combat where it was uh, uh, the day one of our Marines was killed um, we were doing an assault up the uh, the central wadi and we had two uh, we had several different elements we had three different elements we had supporting one so, uh, I'm sorry supporting effort one supporting effort two and then the main effort and the main effort was uh, Koski and uh, one of our squads and they went up using covert movement that night and laid in an area ambush over several different um, several different kill sectors because, you know, the enemy in this area, they don't move using big formations. They move in teams of three and four, sometimes two, you know, through these different AOs to set AIDs in or do sniper fire or whatever else, you know, shoot an RPG, hunter killer team, whatever else. So the more kill zones made made the more sense it made most sense at that point. Um, so at that point, um, I was with supporting effort one with the gun trucks and, uh, that night, uh, you know, one of my squad leaders was talking to me and anyway, they lay in this, this ambush and, uh, we go up and we're supposed to take these buildings, uh, to the Northern sector and, um, um, all hell breaks loose, obviously, before we get there. And the lieutenant has, has occupied a building, and I've got a squad off to my right. Uh, I think it was second squad, and we had some vehicles getting, getting hit by small arms and RPGs. And I was with one of the vehicles, and I was supposed to breach to the north and take the most northern sector building. And as we were breaching to the north, um, the ace, the vehicles, kept getting stuck, um, trying to bulldoze over some, um, some you know, big old walls basically and uh so i'm sitting in the back in, in the seven ton vehicle and i'm talking a, i'm talking out of a uh amprc 148 on vhf low band so the damn radio won't talk to anybody and our vehicles are you know they're gutted from all the different crap we're going through we're trying to sustain ourselves so i can't get my damn door open i remember this I'm trying to get the damn door open and I'm kicking the crap out of it, losing my shit. So I get, I go out the top of the, the turret of the vehicle and I climb down and I get to where the side of this corner of this building and I start talking on the radio and I'm yelling at the, uh, the, uh, the ace driver as he's trying to, and he's getting away from us. And I'm thinking in my head, 
okay, this guy's going to get hit with an RPG, and then we don't have a vehicle to recover this dude, and it's just going to be a complete shit show. So I, um, I get on the radio, and I start yelling at him to stop because he's driving. He's probably 150 yards away from us this time. And I'm like, start backing up because I want us to be able to mutually support this dude. And there's small arms and mortars and 107s going off all over the place. You can just hear gunfire all over the place. You know, impacts from uh, IDF and stuff. And he starts backing up. And then I look around and I hear a, a couple snaps and whizzes above my head from small arms. And I'm like, shit. And I'm talking on the radio. We call this radio defilade, where I'm just sitting there talking on the radio. And I'm not paying attention to any of the windows or doors or anything around me because I'm like, you know, I'm worried about command and controlling this, whatever we got going on, you know. So I call for a uh, fire team to come provide security for me. So they come out, and they do what they're trained to do. They do uh, security constant, always 360. So they set up, they go firm, they're ready to start covering, uh, you know, three-dimensional battle space of an urban warfare setting. And um, one of our Marines um, sits on top of a uh, PPID. And uh, it... it Tears that guy up pretty bad and uh, knocks me on the butt because it's it's pretty uh, pretty close to where I proximity to where I'm at. And then um, I get up and then I hear one of my guys. I want to say it was Damas, but I'm not sure. Start yelling for a corpsman or something. So I go rushing over there and I get on the radio and there's a troop strap on the back of the uh, the uh, the vest. And we pull him out of the ground, and uh, we're yelling for, uh, you know, for help. And I look over at one of my corpsmen, and one of the corpsmen was pretty upset for me, upset with me at this point, because I think at the, at the beginning, I may have called the man as a fallen angel. I probably did. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm pretty rocked um, at this point. And, uh, um, and we start, at some point, we start tying his legs and his arms off, trying to get the uh, bleeding to stop. And I think Doc started working on him. And I call over the lieutenant and I let him know that we've got uh, an urgent surgical. Um, and then he comes over. And as he's coming over, um, he hits the corpsman uh, that was with that team. Doc Amin winds up stepping on an IED. Um, and um, it wounds him and wounds another doc named Doc Driscoll, throws him against the Humvee. Um, so I've got. Now I've got three casualties, um, and uh, two are corpsmen, one's a marine, two urgent surgicals, one um, one uh, um, urgent. So then I look behind me, and uh, there's a high back Humvee coming to our pause, and they hit an IED. <laughs> I'm just like, you can't make this shit up. You know what I mean? This is, you know. And uh, uh, they hit an ID, and I remember yelling them out on the, uh, yelling at them on the radio uh, to stay in their fucking vehicle because I just realized that the area we're trying to breach, they basically used IEDs like land, land, landmine warfare where they just make belts of them, mm -hmm. and we're stuck in the middle of this thing. Um, and as soon as this happens, you know, I'm hearing about. One of our squads, they've got a downed vehicle that got hit with an RPG. 
that's basically adjacent to Lieutenant. I've got the vehicle behind me that's got all the dudes trapped in it. I've got, um, I've got my two urgent surgicals on site. Um, I've got one, uh, one guy who is uh, urgent. He's a corpsman. And I've got a damn ace driver who can barely hear my radio and what the fuck's going on. That's lead of our, our, our formation. Okay. So at some point, I remember going over to that ace, and I'm pretty sure it was probably before all the injuries, and I'm yelling at that kid doing the Kermit the Frog, and, um, and I'm like, hey, you know, you, you've got to keep your head against your radio because if you get caught in the wrong spot right now, we're not going to be able to tow this vehicle out, and it's going to be a hell of a thing if you get hit with a vehicle and get a mobility kill or any of this other shit. So... Um, so I've got this ace, I've got to worry about command and control this whole unit, and I'm like, shit, and I've got to get these casualties out of here. And I just realized now that the lieutenant sent me over this team to try to help me out my situation, that if he sends anybody else over here, they're most likely those guys are going to get wounded because they're going to step on something too. Yeah. And, uh, and at this point, I remember sometime in the firefight, um, we start receiving IDF. And I don't know if it's a lot. I mean, I can hear the impacts and I don't know what the caliber of rounds are or anything like that. But I remember pulling myself in the vehicle and getting inside the, uh, um, the MATV or not the MATV. I'm sorry. The, uh, the up armored seven ton, the armadillo. And, uh, when I get in the armadillo, I'm sitting there and I'm taking a knee and one of our wounded Marines is laying there. And he's looking at me and he pulls himself up and I'm like, and I'll never forget um, the look on his face. And I'm like, if I've ever felt like I was in charge or all the weight of a fucked up situation lied on my shoulders, it was at that very moment in time. And uh, um, I was like, okay, you know, uh, you got to get up. And you got to figure out a way to get these dudes out of here. And, you know, you've got to uh, figure out how you're going to control the situation and how you're going to um, figure out a, a new way to attack, um, you know, this, this, this problem. So I got out of the vehicle. I mean, it's, it's difficult when you see your brothers that are bleeding everywhere, but everybody is focusing towards the casualties and I'm like shit dude somebody's gonna get on a roof with an RPG or something you know what I mean um, and I remember just yelling a bunch and telling guys to focus security outwards and start paying attention to rooftops and shit. a lot of yelling and screaming um, <clears throat> so we get to a point where um, where uh, we get the guys in the back of the vehicles and I remember you know having to do like an overhead press trying to get these dudes in the back of these, uh, these uh, seven tons that were bleeding, that were all hurt and stuff. And I mean, they're heavy, man. They got full gear on and I don't want to take it off of them because if we wind up, uh, you know, or we wind up getting hit with another round or something, I, you know, I don't want them to get hurt even worse than they already are. So they're, they're heavy, right. man. They're big boys. So we're pushing these guys and getting them in the back of the vehicles and I'm literally at a loss. I don't know what to do. 
and I'm ashamed to say that to this very day because I'm like, shit. We, I mean, basically we had a mass cast, you know, we've got all these vehicles down and we've got dudes bleeding and, you know, missing body parts and all that good shit. So I was like, hey, you know, we get the guys in the back of the vehicles. We get all the vehicles up. And I remember Humvees trying to get over the side to support the, uh, the uh, ACE. And they would get on the top of this mountain and they would be teeter-tottering on the top of this, oh, wow. this hill yeah, because they didn't have the clearance. And another vehicle would come behind them and hit them from behind and bump them over this hill. It was, I mean, they literally had to jump this thing. And, uh, you know, we wind up getting everybody rallied up, you know, uh, do a, uh, uh, ammo casualty equipments, uh, UTS reports, all that shit, and then we start moving. So we start moving out of there and I'm just thinking in my head, we're going to hit another IED. We're going to hit another something. We're going to hit something. And, uh, I am literally at one point, um, uh, feeling bad because I feel so horrible about what happened. I'm in front of the vehicles, um, kicking dirt in front of the MRAPs and the, the, the armadillos because I don't want them to get hit with another IED. So I'm walking in front of the vehicles, kicking dirt like a jackass because I didn't have any other, I mean, I didn't, what am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, at that point, you know, um, you just do it, you know, you do what think, you think is right. And what I, I didn't think that was right. I knew that was right and I'd already, uh, led these guys down the wrong axis of advance or avenue of approach, whatever you want to call it. Um, So I go out there, we get the casualties off and we link up with um, the Estonians and the Estonians come in with their vehicles and we do a ground Kazivac back. And then I realize I'm like, man, we've got to, uh, you know, I've got all these vehicles. I need LVS wreckers. I need all this crap, you know, to get these vehicles out of there. So we go back. And we get back to the FOB. And um, company Gunny's like, hey, I'm taking over the uh, watch center. I was like, got it. And I grab everybody in. We consolidate really quick. And I'm like, all right, check this out. You need to go to the ammo ASP and you need to grab as much ammo and high explosive rockets, grenades, whatever you got, because we're gonna go back out there and we've got 10 mics, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, and I give them a time on my watch. I was like, be back at the vehicles. Um, they're like, roger that. So we all cut loose to go do our thing. And uh, my buddy bugles with me. I mean, we've got everybody. We get these vehicles refit and we haul ass back out there. And then we have to recover the vehicle that's uh, got the that hit was hit by the IEDs with first platoon. Roll around them using uh, mine detectors and shit. And we figure out that uh, uh, they're good to go. We link them up, we get the other vehicle from first platoon and they drag them back. And then I link up with the Lieutenant at some point and we assault through a couple compounds and uh, uh, we take one or two more casualties from frag and stuff like that. Um, and about how how long after the the whole incident were you you lost uh, Doc Amin and your Marine and 
Dr. Driscoll, I think you said. And so we had, so the, the Marines that we lost, we had uh, the vehicle that was hit, and, I, and I'm, you know, once again, I'm working off a of vague memory. So we had one fallen angel who was Lance Corporal Wilson, and then we had uh, two urgent surgicals, so that was Docamine. I'm sorry, one urgent surgical, that was Docamine. We had one um, urgent, it was Dr. Driscoll. And then we had a vehicle full of uh, three or four guys that were routine casualties that had been hit. And then we had another vehicle that got hit with an RPG and small arms fire uh, that I don't know if they're classified as casualties or not. So we came back and towed those vehicles out. And I would say probably by the time we went back, got everything back and went back to the fight because we were in the northern sector, uh, I would say probably 35 minutes, maybe 25, 35 oh, minutes. Wow. So it was quick. quick. It was a quick turnaround. Yeah. So we got out there. I linked up with the lieutenant. And we salted through a couple compounds and buildings. Got into the uh, this alley with this head in the alley, and I popped the corner, and uh, I got in a shootout with this asshole, and my weapon malfunctioned. You know, proper weapons maintenance. They always pre they always preach that shit. You know, uh, mm -hmm. so weapon jam. Art wound up pretty much saving my ass and pulling me back behind a wall, and the wall got sprayed with uh, with small arms. Uh, threw some hand grenades over the wall, and then the Brits called in some 105s and smoke checked them. You know, killed them all. Uh, then we came back to the FOB, and uh, Lieutenant pulled everybody in, and he was like, "Hey, man, uh, we need to rally up." So we rallied up, and we, when we were patrolling back, I remember. Before we patrol back to the FOB, I'm looking around at the platoon, and we are just smoked, man. It's like 115, 18 degrees outside. A lot of these guys stepped off with one can, uh, you know, a canteen or two, and then one full bladder of uh, camelback bladder of, of water, and they're just been fighting. At this point, they're fighting for eight, nine hours, you know. So they're they're just smoked, man. They got got nothing left. I mean. You got 300 PFT or out there. He's not going to be doing very well at that point, you know. So this whole thing goes down, and uh, we wind up uh, pushing back. And I remember looking at the lieutenant. I'm like, these guys are Winchester and water and everything else. They're hurting pretty bad. And he's like, yeah, we probably should just start retrograding at this point. So... We do like a tactical withdrawal and, and uh, go back to the FOB. And as we're sitting there, he lets us know that uh, Ivan had passed away um, on the helicopter out. And, uh, you know, and, and I struggle with this. Um, I always think like, you know, later on, especially as I would was able to gain more knowledge and become more competent in my trade and Things of that nature, I always struggle. I'm like, man, what could I have done to to be a better leader at that point, you know, and and uh, and get him out of there earlier, or not make that call, or just breach through there, you know, or, or shit, I don't know, whatever it would have taken, you know, or God, why, why him? Why, why couldn't I have just bit it, you know? And I, why couldn't I have just, um, uh. Um, eating it instead of him, and I, you know, quite frankly, I would have done that. Even to this day, if I could trade places with him, I would a hundred percent. You know, any of those guys, 
uh, that we lost. So I want to trade places with him. Not because of anything, but, you know, I just, you know. Um, you ever hear the saying that uh, nobody, I don't think anybody's exceptionally brave on a battlefield. And this is just my, my two cents. Everybody says that you do fall to the lowest level of training received, right? But I think that you do things, and everybody's like, it's, it's like, it sounds very cliche and very, you know, generic. Oh, you do things for the Marine and your left and your right. But what they're really trying to say when they say that is you're doing that because you love your brothers <clears throat> that much. <clears throat> and that's how much I love every single one of them. If we rewinded right now, I would have traded a plate. I would trade a place with them in a heartbeat. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, and, and I'm not perfect, obviously. I've done all kinds of dumb shit in my life, but, um, uh, you know, uh, if I could have been stronger, smarter, faster, or done something, you know, I wish I could have did it. And uh, if I had anything to pass on to another leader, that was going to go down range. It would be to pick up a book and train into your hands bleed. That way, you don't have to um, see your your guys learn hard lessons in blood and pain. You know what I mean? And I know every single one of your Marines knows that when you say that you would trade places with those guys that you lost in a heartbeat, every single one of your Marines absolutely believes that because of who you are and your leadership. You know, there's, I'm sure you know this too. You've heard of rule number one in combat. People die. And rule number two is, unfortunately, you're not going to stop number one from happening. What, what was interesting, though, to me is how you talked about how you processed all that mentally in the middle of a very chaotic uh, situation. And what you didn't do was freeze, lock up, or run what you what you did, which is the right thing to do, is you sort of, you sort of within yourself took a step back and said, "What do we need to do here?" And that's really all that can be expected, you know, because you, there is no way to plan for every single situation. But you, it's much better instead of acting impulsively to take a step back. I think, like you did, and just take a breath and assess the situation and say, well, "Now, what do we need to do?" And as horrible as that felt, you absolutely made the right decision. And you, you clearly did everything within your power as platoon sergeant that day to take the fight to the enemy and then take care of your men and then get back in there, which is awesome. 35 minutes later, after a really quick brief or debrief and resupply, you're pushing right back out there and, and taking the fight right back to the enemy. I mean, that is absolutely awesome. So what do you what do you do at that point? You get back uh, from the fight. You know all your men are together. And on one hand, you're feeling this way, the way you just described, which I think is very normal. And yet, you know, you've got to somehow lift up your Marines and get them ready for the next day or the next patrol, the next fight. How do you do that? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm human, just like everybody else, and. Uh... I, uh, I, to be quite honest with you, I needed to get out all my emotion. Emotion's a motherfucker because it'll tear you down, man. Mm. And uh, <laughs> so, 
quite frankly, I grabbed my kit when we got back from the troll and we all talked to everybody and I went to the ASP um, and I, I didn't swim by myself and I went in there and I cried um, for about, I don't know, a few minutes and I cried, got it all out. I was tears rolling down my face, you know. Like, what the f did I do wrong, you know? What have I done? And uh, uh, I cried, got it all out. And I got up and I was like, all right, you weak sister, get up. Time to start freaking doing your job. <laughs> That's as stupid as that sounds. Um, and I walked out. And as I walked out, I remember running into Bugle and some other guys, but I ran into one of our interpreters, a guy named Mark. And uh, Mark saw the look on my face, and he gave me a hug. Mm. And uh, and he he had you know he was pretty shaken as well. That's that's the right word, shaken. You know what I mean, shaken. And uh, uh, I went back to the the, the hooch. I started preparing, talked to the lieutenant. You know, shot the shit with him. Talked to some of the Marines, um, and then um, I, uh, you know, I, I just cleaned my weapon and, and sat there and, and you know, waited for the next frag or order or whatever to come down and the next mission brief. Um, so we wound up doing a couple other assaults before I was wounded. Uh, you know, we went up and and and. You know, winded up doing a few other assaults and killing some bad guys and, and doing all kinds of other stuff. And, and uh, you know, I kind of got to the point where I was there where, you know, some of the Marines told me this, but I, I kind of got to the point where I was pretty positive I was going to get killed. And I made peace with it. The problem is, is that I made peace with that, but I never made peace with the fact that I might make it out of there, you know, because mm. I gave myself completely to the situation. I was just like, well, shit, you know, here it is, man. Uh, I got to I got to lead guys in battle. And Gabe, you ain't perfect. That's for sure. You know, like what what are you going to, um, you know, be be a solution, not a problem, the situation. So, um you know, and and we got to the point where we had done so many gunfights. Um, I got in a, a few. I can't even remember what assault it was, but we went up and we uh, attacked um, Taliban headquarters or something where we were assaulting up to the north. And I remember um, we breached through a compound wall. This guy named Sergeant Lang breached through a wall. We all did a 180 around. Uh, around a guy that one of our Marines had shot, I think it was Sergeant Espinoza or somebody from the roof, shot this Taliban, this Taliban fighter in close proximity. And uh, we do a 180 around his body and all hell starts breaking loose. And we start assaulting down this corridor. And one of my saw gunners, uh, Lance Corporal O'Hara, winds up shooting a guy with an RPG down this long axis of this alleyway. And 
we wind up getting, I don't know what we were thinking, but we wind up getting everybody and we start doing a frontal assault down this alleyway. And we're clearing rooms and clearing, you know, uh, fricking, I don't even know what you would call them, like entry points and stuff. And I'm looking left and right. I've got a couple, I got an EOD tech with me. I've got Lance Corporal O'Hara and I've got Sergeant Espinosa with me. And we're going down this alleyway and we are hooking and jabbing and shooting and, and moving with these guys. And we get to this one point and we look at the down of this alleyway and there's a smoking RPG inside of the actual launch tube. <laughs> and it's smoking because it didn't wind up going off at us. So we start breaking contact and bounding back. And it was from the guy that Lance Corporal O'Hara had shot. <laughs> he had dropped the RPG, he pulled the trigger and he had a misfire and O'Hara shot him and he dropped, dropped the guy on the ground. And um, so we wind up bounding back and same thing, we wind up uh, um, retrograding out of there. And uh, so it was just too many memories like that that I can even, like so many incidents that I can, that, that like that, that I can't even put them in order. Um, and mostly, I also have a TBI, so that doesn't help my, my memory very much on what the hell happened on that deployment. But I do remember what happened the day I was wounded. And so that was August 10th, um, 2008. And we were moving up um, the corridor um, and Central Wadi again. And the... Uh, the plan of attack was, is that we were gonna move up, area ambush, same kind of op, support effort one and two and all that good stuff. And then I was gonna move up um, in the vehicles and um, I was gonna be supporting effort, basically set up attack by fire, so support by fire, whatever they needed um, on order at the time. So we had taken so many casualties that one of the vehicles that I was in, I was manning a Mark 19 and uh, we roll out and we do split section ops. I've got four gun trucks and two of my gun trucks going in the Wadi. And then I go up top where the snipers are located in a hide site. Um, and uh, I can't remember if we called it Tauntaun or Lucy Pender or whatever. Um, and I go adjacent to that building. And I can hear the gunfight happening down in the wadi. And I was up, up top, because before the gunfight, me and the platoon commander had had a talk, and I was like, hey, we keep running to the point of friction. We keep both going to where all the bad shit's happening. We need to like stay separated, because if we take one shot, we're both out of the fight. And then poor Sergeant Espinosa or Corporal Tomlinson or you know Lanford has a platoon, and it's like, man that's not a cool thing to do to them when they're fighting their squad on top of everything else you know so uh we wind up making it a point that we're going to stay separated so i go up top and he goes down and my two gun trucks go down on the wadi and as the fighting's going down on the wadi they take two rpgs of the vehicle and knock sergeant espinoza out knocks the corpsman out hits our our up gunner up my god i can't remember his name he's a stud though um and um you know, one of the vehicles is hit. They wind up having to do a Casivac, ground Casivac, and I want, and I'm in a gunfight up top. So I'm firing the Mark 19. It winds up jamming, and then Letcher, I think, drives up with his uh, um, gun truck, and he starts rocking and rolling with a 240. And I've got two t dismounts. I've got uh, Hinojosa, got Matty Bag, and I think I have Culliver with me. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure I do. 
got a headache. I mean, I got blasted, so my memory sucks. Uh, and I'm putting a lot of this stuff together from things and stories that people told me of how this went down. So, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Um, so my boys pull out the, the mortar and I start calling out Adrax and they start firing the, the 60 millimeter mortar handheld. And I'm calling out distance and direction to targets and they're, they're rocking and rolling. I mean, quite honestly, those dudes don't even need me there because they're killing bad guys, you know what I mean? And at mm -hmm. some point in the gunfight, Matty Bag takes a, a round in the stomach. It ricochets off the deck and goes right up underneath his, cat, uh, his plate carrier. And I wind up having to put him in a, a vehicle. And once again, boot staff sergeant, you know what I mean? Um, put way too much ammo in the back of these vehicles. So I'm thinking I'm just going to be killing guys with this Mark 19. Not the case because it keeps malfunctioning. So I wound up having to dump some of this ammo out and throw our casualty in. And we drive them back to the CCP, the casualty collection point, And we drop them off. And uh, they start taking care of them. Um, now Rear Admiral Hancock and everybody are in there rocking and rolling and making sure they're keeping dudes alive. And I roll back out. Before I roll back out, I focus my gun out in the middle of, middle of Nalzad. And I shoot a couple bursts to make sure that the freaking gun works. And then um, I roll back to that position and the same asshole shooting at me from this building. And I can see the dust because he's stupid as shit. And he doesn't like pour water down in front of his muzzle to like mask the muzzle flash of his weapon going off. And I fire uh, a few bursts into the building um, that he's firing from. And then the stupid thing jams again. And at some point, we're sitting there. We're just getting mortared, man. We're just getting mortared. You know, we're receiving 60s. And I'm like, okay, we're not really doing much here except getting mortared. Let's go down to the Wadi and see what's going on down there. And as we go down there, I pull out into the uh, open area. We start to do a hot and cold position with the gun trucks. And as I pull out, I start receiving small arms and uh, the freaking damn gun is jamming because we don't have feed throats for the Mark 19s. So that <laughs> makes the ammo twist and it's just causing a lot of problems for us. I just got to the point where I kept exposing myself in the turret so many times. And when I was up by the snipers, I received small arms. And at one point, Sonny Board grabbed me and was asking him if I was shot because we were just getting pings and pangs were flying off the truck as I'm trying to clear this gun out. Uh, that uh, I wind up just getting to the point where I'm like, okay, this damn gun's not going to work. And not only that, but the gun target line wasn't cleared through the trees to where all the bad guys were at. So... Um, Long story short, I, uh, I uh, jump out of the truck with the 60 and I go to where the captain and everybody's at. And we start suppressing targets with the 60 handheld and the captain's, you know, uh, now, you know, obviously when he retired, he's a major, but um, he's a former mortarman and I always bust his balls about that. <laughs> and uh, he's out there and he's, he's working the mortar and I'm, I'm looking through my RCO and, and uh, giving him corrections and, and Hino and, and whoever else is working the gun, but we don't have that many rounds. We only have like eight rounds. Thank God we brought that thing though, man, because it wound up being an asset. And uh, um, we shoot a couple rounds, and then we get on the vehicle, get on the the hook, and I start talking to um, the lieutenant, and he's like, "Hey, we're low on ammo." So I jump in the truck, and I put some engineers in the truck. And we drive across this open area. And every time we drive across small arms and machine gun fire and all kinds of shit. And I drop these engineers off because they're going to breach into the next compound. Um, and it's Lang and some other British dude. And I remember going, hey, they're in that building right there. And I remember feeling like an asshole. 
because I probably should have got out of the vehicle and like walked him to where the lieutenant was at. But I remember hearing us that conversation we had, don't stay in the same place at the same time, man, you know? So they go in and they conduct a link up. And uh, um, now that I'm smarter and I know how to conduct a link up a lot better than that, you know what I mean? Obviously, I would have done things different now. Hindsight's 2020. Um, so I moved back to that original pause and um, all hell's breaking loose. And he's asking for ammo or something. I remember something. Something in my head tripped me to be like, I got to move to where the lieutenant's at. And everybody's on tack one. Nobody's rolling. We're all talking on the same freak. We're not rolling the tack two. A lot of shit's happening. And I look to, my, um, to the south and I can see, or maybe it was to the north, but I can see the QRF rolling up. And I'm like, man, they've got machine guns and all kinds of cool shit with them. I'm going to go with them. So I roll up. And I, uh, I'm like, I was like, hey, Sonnyborn. I remember Sonnyborn was my driver. I'm like, stay on the tracks. And um, sure enough, you know, I'm like, we're just going to roll over to these guys. And I'm going to give them very deliberate, explicit directions on where they're going to set these guns in and start suppressing before we move across this open area again. Because one of these times, one of these assholes are going to get lucky with an RPG and hit us. So sure enough, we... Uh, move across the area, an explosion happens, and I get launched from the vehicle. And it breaks my leg in, I don't know, five, six different places. Um, and it launches me from the vehicle. And uh, I'm laying on the ground. My legs split open. I can see it through my camis. I see the blood oozing out. Good thing, you know. One thing I remembered, I remember thinking as the explosion happened and I was outside of the truck, I was like, oh, I am not in a vehicle anymore <laughs> as I'm flying through the air, you know. Uh, I'm thinking, I'm like, damn it, man, you know. Uh, this thing is going to land on me. And I remember hearing the truck land right next to me. And I'm like, once the dust cleared, I remember feeling the relief of just like, I'm glad that that truck didn't roll over on me and kill me, you know. Oh. And uh, so my leg's mangled. It's toasted. My gear's all freaking screwed up. I've got a working 153 on my on my my kit, and I start getting on the hook and and the talking to people and and you know there's you know I've heard all kinds of shit, but I looked over to my right and I remember seeing the QRF with the engineers out there like slowly scanning the ground for any uh, for any hits on any kind of ID or anything, and I'm looking at this guy and I'm like, dude, can you hurry up? I'm literally bleeding out, dude. I'm gonna die. Uh, so I get up there and they reset my leg and I'm probably squealing like a pig. Probably not the most manly moment of my life. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? I think you get a mulligan on that one. Yeah, yeah. So um, they got to reset my leg and do some other horrible shit. And, uh, um, and I remember getting Kazivac'd out of there. And So just, just to be clear, I mean, I don't know how much of it you remember, but to listen to Rochelle Haas tell the story. He said that when you got launched from the vehicle and your leg hit the vehicle on the way out, it broke in the femur, the upper leg. And he said that your your foot was up by your head. Yeah. It's not supposed to bend that way, Gabe. So. No, no, no. I, I, I remember taking my leg and like pushing it um, down my body because I looked at it and I remember looking at my boot and it was in this awkward, strange position, but my equilibrium was jacked up as if you had gone around the merry-go-round so many times. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you're a kid sure. and you're like up is down, down is up kind of deal. 
And I'm like trying to, and I'm like, why is my boot off my foot? And I remember taking it and throwing it. And I'm like, oh, there's a leg connected to that. Wow. Yeah, it, yeah, it hurt real bad. And I remember yelling at uh, uh, Sonnyborn to get out of the vehicle. And he couldn't get out of the vehicle because his door was combat locks. It, it shut. He couldn't get out. And the same thing with Hino. I guess Hino was knocked out. Uh, you know, God bless that kid. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a hard ass. And um, he couldn't get out of the vehicle as well. And this is by far, um, you know, and I'm not trying to be corny and cliche. And you know, when you go through boot camp and you go and you run through the the the, uh, the crucible and you're going through all your shit when you're in school of infantry, and they're they're doing these things where they put your mind, body, and spirit to test, and they're you know sleep deprivation. Freaking food deprivation, but you get plenty of water, but you're hiking and you're burning more calories and you're taking in, and then they bring you to an obstacle and they read you off a Medal of Honor citation or whatever, you know what I mean? And they talk about this precarious situation that a bunch of Marines found themselves in, and one dude stood up and figured it out, and, and all, you know, or, or the Marines, you know, fought through uh, adversity and, and came out the other side. Well, I found myself at the ass end of that, and I'm like laying there on the ground, and I'm like, okay, well, shit, I can't do anything for myself now. Right. If somebody doesn't come and help me, I'm going to die. And that is a very um, helpless feeling, mm-hmm. especially when you're young and in your 20s and you think that there's nothing in the world that can stop you. Right. <laughs> you know, right. you got that you know you got that very arrogant way about you and you're like i'm i have lots of testosterone watch me do this you know what i mean (laughs) and um i remember laying there and i remember watching one of my squads come over along with one of my corpsmen doc miller who is a emergency room doctor now and i remember them coming over and setting security around the vehicle and I remember one of my team leaders, Corporal Smith, coming over and grabbing something. And he's like trying to comfort me in any way he can. Um, and he's trying to stick a belt or something in my mouth because I'm screaming because it, oh, God, it hurts. You know what I mean? Sure. And I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, what a beautiful sight. You know, um, greater love ha- has you know great what what is it you know you know what i'm talking about i do yeah from the bible greater love has no man than this than one should lay his life down for his friends yeah. lay his life down for his friends so there is no doubt um, through my life and through whatever i've been through thus far after that incident that i can say uh um, that I don't owe everybody in that platoon as well as the ones that we lost my life. So I just try to honor that every single day, you know, um, and not dishonor it. And I am not perfect by any means. I am a soup sandwich, sloppy as hell. No, no structural integrity whatsoever. You know what I mean? I'm all over the place. Um, hey, that's that's the way we come. That's, that's yeah. human beings. Uh, so I wind you're up not the only one. Yeah. So I wind up coming home and going through a plethora of surgeries. Uh, Marine Corps is a small place, 
I wanted up having uh, getting some opportunities. I went back down to Coronado, and um, when I was in the hospital room, they they said, "Hey, um, you know, you you can't run, you can't you can't hike, but can you swim?" And I said, "Hell yeah, I can swim." So they they grabbed me and they brought me down back down the amphib locker down to Coronado. When I, uh, you know, I did what I could down there, but it gave me a purpose. Gave me a reason to live. It gave me a, a, a reason to live, and um, and it gave me a reason to keep continuing forward. And I fought so I could make the marks to be able to to be a rescue swimmer or a coxswain or whatever else the Marine Corps had in front of me. And honestly, I didn't really give a shit about any of that. What I cared about was um, letting my buddies down, and I just didn't want to let any of them down. So I did that, and then I got to the point to where I was in situations where I was under a lot of stress, where I had to, you know, guys get flipped in boats in the surf zone, or, um, you know, needing actual life rescuing help, and I had to go out there, and I was the one to, to save them, and that helped me work through some of my anxieties that I had, facing fear, facing what you were able to do and what you couldn't be able to do. So I did that for a few years. And, you know, in and out of surgeries because they were trying to save my freaking leg. What a lost cause that was, you know. And I kept fighting and I kept fighting. And the goal was out of this whole thing is I was like, I'm going to weapons company and I want to deploy again with 2-7. Yeah. You know. And at some point I realized that that was not an option. And uh, um, I, um, I got to the point to where through... My brothers and my units and the rest, other deployments I had been on before that. And, you know, a lot of people are like, whoa, you know, what did you do to, to keep your head on straight? And quite frankly, I just stayed connected with other Marines. And um, basically, I got to the point to where, you know, one day I was sitting around. I was like, I can't do this boat shit forever. And Ross calls me and he's like, hey, man. Do you want to come to School of Infantry and be my company gunnery sergeant? And I said, does a bear sit in the woods? You know what I mean? And he said, hell yeah. So I show up, and I don't know what to expect. So I start doing what I can, and before I know it, I'm in charge of one of the schools over there and uh, mm -hmm. teaching the school. And I go in one day to the medical, to the clinic, and this is you know three and a half years later after I'd been hit. And uh, I get some tests run because I'm not feeling very good. And they do some tests on me, and they're like, hey, man, you got an infection. And at this point, I had already been like, shit, man, it's time to, it's time to cut, cut away my main parachute and pop my reserve, you know what I mean? So they're like, here's your deal, man. You got a massive infection. We got to cut it off. Well, we got three options. What do you want to do? And I check, I, you know, that's what doctors do, man. They never tell you straight up, like, hey, because they don't want to have any ownership in the decision. They want the big D to rely with you, you know, the big decision to lie with you, you know. And I said, hey, cut that motherfucker off, man, you know. I wish you guys would have done it three, you know, four years ago, but whatever, man. Yeah. So they made me wait for a month, and I'm sitting there touching my feet and feeling my leg and everything like this, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me here, man. And uh, so I roll in the gate one morning, <laughs> and as I'm rolling in the gate, the damn gate guard starts giving me and my dad because it's four something in the morning because he doesn't have a proper military ID or clearance. And I get out of the vehicle and I'm just pissed because I'm about to cut my leg off and I'm laying right. into this poor sailor like I've never, you know. Uh, 
and I get up there and they put an epidural, my, we're about to put an epidural on my back and I'm like, let me touch my toes for the last time. And I touch them for the last time and I uh, wake up and there's no leg left, you know. And they wanted to throw it in medical waste, so I had them cremated. It's actually up on my, my mantle right now. Uh, you know, because I figured if you're gonna take, fight that hard to keep something, you might as well keep it, you know. Um, so, when, when I, one day when I die and the rest of me goes to hell, I'm just kidding, the rest of me is, uh, when the rest of me is burnt up, I can take that urine up there, or whoever can, they can shake it up and I'll have all my limbs again, I'll be fine, you know what I mean? Let's shake it up and mix me back up again.